When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, y'all, welcome back to a Monday, December 4th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Pell University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green is here. Diehard UGA fan to you. Just talk all about what happened uh, in Atlanta over the weekend between the Dogs and the Crimson Tide in the SEC title game. We talk extensively about uh, Georgia's game plan, what happened, how Alabama won, the officiating, the pass rush for Georgia, um, surprises and how Alabama attacked Georgia. Um, just all about Tennessee, or excuse me, Tennessee. I mean, no Tennessee this weekend, really. Um, outside of the Iowa Bowl matchup was uh, in the Citrus Bowl. Oof, uh, not looking forward to that in a couple weeks for the Vols. Um, but the CFP, Florida State, finishing undefeated, still getting left out in uh, the college football playoff. Bama sneaks in at that number four spot. We talked about how that ultimately unfolded, what this means for college football going forward, the last iteration of the 14 playoff, um, who should win and why we're still, uh, specifically uh, me too here, it still feels like a good spot for Texas to be in. Uh, Michigan's got their hands full with Alabama in that first round matchup. Washington finishes the year undefeated. Great year for them. The first time ever went in 13 games uh, in a college football season for them. So shout out to the Huskies on a big one over the Ducks in the Pac-12 title game, the last one ever on Friday night. Then we talk a little bit about Jaden Daniels locking in uh, what should be the Heisman Trophy based on how things unfolded this weekend and just how uh, incredible his season was as a whole at uh, at LSU this year. All that and more coming up next with uh, Matt Green. As always, folks, if you are a first-time listener and you have not already done so, please make sure that you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player if you like what you hear today. New episodes, new content each and every day um, during the college football season. You get uh, college football with Matt Green on this very show every Monday and every Thursday on this very feed, so look out for that if you're a big college football fan. Also, uh, if you're already subscribed and you have not already done so, you know what I'm about to ask. Please, please, please leave this show a five-star rating and write us a review on your preferred podcast player. It helps uh, other people find this show, and it helps this very show continue to grow a little bit more each and every day. So if you could hit that pause button and take care of that day if you're a fan of the show already and uh, take care of that, I would greatly appreciate it. You can always email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Check out the homepage, chasethomaspodcast.com. All kinds of great stuff there. And follow us on all the social media channels at uh, Chase Thomas Podcast, Pod Chase Thomas, and all that good stuff. YouTube page, full episodes, clips, shorts, all that good stuff. YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe there. All right. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, fresh off, uh, what, six hours ago of seeing Nate Bargazzi in uh, in person today, which was great. Nice oh, little, nice. He was in town, a uh, local Tennessee guy, which was a lot of fun with my wife, uh, getting that in there to cap off what was a amazing 
college football weekend. Big um, Nate Bargatze fan. He's I, uh, great. I don't want to say I discovered him, but mm. I feel like I was the first one to know about him. No, I just have like my my friend group. Ever since I, I saw he was on some Netflix thing, I obviously didn't discover him. But um, and then he kind of blew up. Some of the th- I think it's called stand ups. It just had like a different like little like five mm-hmm. six different comedians. But yeah, he's uh, he's awesome. We saw him in uh, Greenville. Was that this year? I think earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, good stuff. It was good stuff. It was a lot of fun. Pack sold out crowd. It was uh it was a lot of fun. It was a good cap to what was a really fun uh, weekend as a whole. But that voice you heard right there. Uh, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, who, um, look, it was weird not having Tennessee football this weekend, and uh, we'll only get him one more time in the Iowa uh, Citrus Bowl game in a couple weeks, but it was weird not having uh, any Tennessee football to watch and won't have any Tennessee football to watch for a long time after uh, the Iowa game. But uh, Matt Green, how are, I, 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 I'm, I'm troubled to just even say, how are you doing, sir, 24 hours after... Uh, what happened in Atlanta yesterday? Uh, well, you know, I've been better. I, um, I, I never really felt like we were going to win from the jump. Right. I just, I never, I never really thought I'd just say that for the podcast, you know, but I just, I never really actually thought it was going to, is that a callback? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm just calling you out for your Georgia Tennessee take, but, um, no, mm. I would say, um, we're obviously going to get into, um, into Georgia, Alabama more a little bit later, but, I'll say it was the first time I was I was legitimately surprised that Georgia lost to Alabama. It was like there's been times, multiple games, I think, uh, with Kirby versus Saban, where you felt like Georgia felt like they were the better team, but Alabama came out on top. So that that's not new. But I think uh to come coming in like 2021, I think Georgia fans, you were optimistic. We were so dominant that year in the SEC Championship. But it's like, you know, this team has the Heisman Trophy winner on their team. Like, it's still Alabama. We have, we've yet to beat Alabama under Saban uh, or under Kirby. So it's like, you may have gone in confident in 2021, but you were not surprised when Alabama put up 40 on us, right? But this one, especially with how the game went, it was just... Um, I was just definitely surprised uh, that, that Georgia... I. I it's hard for me to say I was wrong uh, about like our prediction. Like I'm obviously wrong about Jalen Milrow. Ultimately, like Alabama's going to the college football with him as the quarterback. But in terms of you know how underwhelming it is at times, like Alabama's finding it is not joyless murder ball like they predicted, but they're finding ways to win basically every single game they've played uh, other than Texas this year. No, and I mean, shout out to Chris Marler, friend of the show. Uh, he had Alabama winning the style before the year. I gave him grief about Alabama being an Iowa, uh, an Iowa ass team uh, coming into the year. And look, that's what they were. People forget that that's what this was when they were struggling with USF on the road. And there is saw... no other Iowa. There's no. There's no con- nothing comparable to Iowa. No, but the growth of Alabama throughout the course of the year, they deserve credit for it because the team that lost by two scores to Texas at home, the team that struggled against USF uh, on the road, that's not who we saw. I mean, a lot of close losses. And we talked about that uh, ad nauseum on uh, last week's pod previewing this game um, and that it was going to eventually come back to bite him and that it's not a good sign for Alabama that Saban is in so many of these close games week after week. And eventually that does have the bottom does have to fall out. Maybe it falls out in the playoff because I think a lot of people are now <laughs> overlooking um, just what this field is. And I think we'll get into the field itself, but it's four really good teams. And I don't think Alabama is all that different uh, than the three teams that are still uh, in play for a national title this year. And we'll we'll talk more about that uh, in the coming weeks and how that's going to shake out. But in terms of, I mean, the surprise there. I think I texted the group chat. The Thomas family group chat was unbelievable this weekend with Florida state and uh, Alabama. Uh, Georgia was just unbelievable. Like it was nonstop for the last 48 hours. Um, It was, it's still chaos uh, in there, but I, I think one of the first things I looked at was like, Oh, when Mims went out, I was like, Oh, this might be lights out. And I don't know if you felt the same way, but the combination of Mims going down where I was like, Oh, they don't have an answer on that side of the ball on that side of the line that they, they could not afford to lose somebody like him in this game. And then something else I jotted down, except for the fact that you've played so much of the season without him to begin with. Right. So but against Bama, you need a guy like Mims. Like that's for just sure. one. Uh, I mean, he and Bowers are definitely going to be the highest projected draft picks and next mm-hmm. year draft on this Georgia roster. 
Lad, I didn't understand that. I think Georgia has some explaining to do on why they kept trotting Lad McConkey out there, especially when he couldn't move. Um, he was running routes and he was just so banged up. It's like you got to what was the point of Dominic Lovett um, if you're not going to use him, especially in these moments where Lad can't go and you got to have guys out there who can separate like Bama's corners and safeties and company are extremely physical. You have to have guys that can get open and that are are operating at a full cylinder. It sucked to see Lad McConkey that banged up but at a certain point you're like the dude can't go i understand he's a warrior and this that and the other brock was playing through it brock looked um, but he did have that catch like in the fourth quarter now near the goal line so like mcconkey was still still doing things but i but i get you i mean rara thomas was also out so i mean it's uh it's tough you want you want your best players to be able to play in those in those situations well all that too and this is something i'm curious if you felt the same way mike bobo's had a great year um, he's done a great job uh, filling in for Todd Monken uh, in year one as his uh, DOC at Georgia under Kirby uh, in his second stint uh, in Athens. But I think this was his worst called game um, this season, and I don't think it was particularly close. I think this was a bad game for Mike Bobo, and a lot of it stems from how much Georgia ran the football. And this was one of those where I wonder if Kirby can get a redo and Bobo can get a redo. They're like, we got sucked back into Alabama's game plan. We got sucked into playing a way that we used to play, the girly years and the See, the chub years. And I look at it as, what are you doing? Like, why are you running on first down? Why are you running as much as you did? 42 times was ridiculous um, against this Alabama front when you have the quarterback advantage, when you have somebody like Carson Beck who has been succeeding all year long, the guy that you're trying to spend a lot of NIL money to keep back from entering the draft going into next year taking the ball out of his hands and playing to uh, your run game when it hasn't been the same all year long and your best strength is Carson Beck making plays with his arm. I just thought that was really, really questionable from Bobo and company. I don't know if you thought the same as the game was going along. I think it's very easy to second guess any play caller. I think because you look at the, the Georgia had the back to back, I think three and outs um, after mm-hmm. the scoring drive in the first quarter. And the first three and out was three straight pass plays. So the next three and out was three straight run plays. So it's not like it was, oh, they were just, they weren't letting Beck do anything. Like, I mean, you had, you picked up eight yards on first and second down when you ran the ball on those, on that three and out. And then Bama stops you on third and two. There was a lot of Bama stopping Georgia on third and two, third and one. And I think that's ultimately what made the difference. But I mean, if you've seen Georgia these last four or five weeks, like this run game has been really good. So mm. I think if you're executing those third and twos, third and ones, no one's talking about the run game. Like, I think that takes the offense off the field. And obviously that's going to take the ball out of Beck's hands. But I, I felt like there were times that we should be passing more, like especially in the second half. But Georgia is built on balance. So it's hard, especially, I mean, with Amarius Mims out, like that's one of your pass protectors uh, for those good edge rushers that Alabama has. And then two of your better weapons, three of your five best weapons. I mean, Rara Thomas was completely inactive. So like McConkey and Bowers clearly hobbled. So, I mean, there's some, I mean, that could have gone into Mike Bobo's uh, rationale that like, I'm not sure we can, we can pass on these people like uh, the way we have been passing on other teams all season, because I mean, we, Alabama does have a really good secondary. I think it's, uh, you know, their corners are are really good, especially if if Georgia is going to be down at all at receiver. Like, they were obviously really deep. We've talked about that all year, how many playmakers they have. But even they were put into into a a challenge of having a a couple guys out and slowed down. Yeah. The other thing, too, because I picked Georgia to win by two scores. I was very surprised about how this game went. I was surprised by the result, and I was surprised how quickly it seemed like Georgia was on the ropes here. I I was surprised at how dominant Bama was in the trenches. And I don't know if you were feeling the same, but I think that was another big coming out of this game for me was just that like the Mims injury hurt, but also Georgia couldn't get home. Milrow had all day to throw uh, in this one. And I don't know I mean, what... Georgia had four sacks in this game. I think Georgia had Milrow. Georgia didn't pressure Milrow by design. Like mm. it was, he, you had, that's how you have to attack a Jalen Milrow. Like you can't just let this guy try to blitz this guy, let him take off. Like I think Georgia did the perfect amount of 
keeping him in the pocket and actually getting after him. The biggest criticism I'll have, because I told uh, my brother, like before, my X factor for this game was Jalen Walker because he's a ridiculous athlete. And you saw in the very first possession of the game, get Milrow. I think I saw this guy had 12 snaps the whole game, seven pass rush snaps, two sacks, two QB, two uh, hurries, and another uh, pressure. Like this guy was just an, a ridiculous athlete. And I'm not sure why he wasn't on the field more because Georgia, you saw Georgia doing a lot with spying with two with two guys uh on Milrow. I feel like Georgia really if I look at this scoreboard or I look at this box score, I think Georgia wins the game. Like Jalen Milrow is efficient but like not great. What was he like 13 of 23 or something mm-hmm. like that? Like nothing amazing. He had negative rushing yards I think until the final uh that that final drive of the game where he broke like 40 yards. Um, so like they really kept him from making plays with his legs. It's just, I think Georgia beat themselves more than anything. Like, I mean, you look at this, obviously you had the missed field goal early on in the the second quarter, but the, the fumble in the third quarter, like, I think that was just Alabama's first four drives of the second half. Cause I think there is kind of this overrated kind of narrative that, that Alabama did just kind of dominate Georgia, like in the trenches like in the first four drives of the second half Alabama had 36 yards and they they didn't get a first down they but one of those drives started on Georgia's 11 yard line because they just gave them a punt so I think or they just gave them a fumble so I I think Georgia you really did see like this Alabama offense did almost nothing like the last two drives of the game Alabama had 38 percent of their offense of the entire game came on those final two drives like Georgia really held this this team. And obviously like, I don't want to be the referee guy, you know, complain about officiating, but at the end of the day, Isaiah bond, that fourth and fourth and four that they converted uh, before halftime, like that was not a catch. Like it, it's, it's an, it's a incomplete pass that would now be Georgia's ball at their own 37 yard line with a minute 18 left with multiple timeouts. Like that's a situation where Georgia can get points before the half down three. Instead, that's a completion. Two plays later, it's a touchdown. And now Alabama's up 10. Like, that's a potential. It's at least seven points on the board in a game you lose by three. But it's a potential, like, 14-point swing if Georgia is able to, maybe 10-point swing, if Georgia's able to get points before the half right there uh, and they find themselves down 10-0. So especially, I think, every Georgia fan was just beside themselves on, on the first drive of the second half, or at least one of the first drives of the second half, when Arian Smith has that like 50 yard completion and they immediately go see if, Oh, did he, well, let's make sure he caught that. Let's review that. And it was clear as day. It wasn't even really close. So to have such a monumental play in the game, a fourth and four before halftime, like a fourth down conversion before halftime that you pick up 20 yards and he didn't actually catch the ball. Like, what are we doing? What, what are the referees in the, the officials in the replay room, like, what are they doing? Like, that's their entire job. Like, it's not like it's not like the pros where it's it's completely up to the coach to challenge that. Like, get the we're all about reviewing everything in college and getting the call right. And that's just, I mean, that's seven points that in a game that Georgia loses by three. It's it's hard not to point to that. And I mean, as well as you know, some some questionable pass interference calls that didn't go both ways. But the horse collar tackle on Xavier Sori that's guys grabbing his two shoulder pads like since when is that a horse collar like it's like it's just a phantom horse collar mm, like the, the malachi nice. starks interception or malachi starks pass interference on that score on that same scoring drive uh of the isaiah bond play right after like a couple series after the brock bauer is getting pulled like as he's trying to jump like they were letting guys play so to have starks called for that that pass interference it just the officiating was not was not both ways. And I hate to be a referee guy, but that, that Isaiah Bond play at the end of the day, I mean, it's up there with the Tyler Simmons thing. Like, that could be two national championships on Nick Saban's resume that could be Kirby Smart's national championships if if those if that Isaiah Bond play and that Tyler Simmons play are called differently. The difference with that though is one was at the end of the game and everything had played out a certain way and that changes some stuff. This you still have. No, Isaiah, no, Isaiah Bondman, that's right before halftime. No, no, no I'm Tyler talking about Simmons. Simmons. That was the first possession of the second half. I mean, that's what I'm third. saying. That's And when was the Bond? 
I mean, those are probably like two minutes of game clock I apart from each well. other. Like, I thought Simmons was Georgia longer. Forced to, yeah. Georgia forced a three and out like to open the second half up. What were they up? Was it 13-0, I think? Mm. So, I mean, you go up 20-0 to zero to start the second half. Like, that's it's, it's just a massive changing play, obviously. It's, we're going back to 2017. But that's the ultimate thing I'll say going back to 2017. Because Georgia has won 29 straight games, they've won back-to-back national titles. This this loss didn't even register on like the most painful losses as a Georgia fan. Like I know that this loss is potentially a national championship because I think most people think Georgia and Alabama look like the two best teams in college football right now. And there's a chance there's a chance we saw the best two teams play on Saturday night. This loss doesn't even like because of what Georgia's achieved in 2021, 2022, like this doesn't compare to the 2012 SEC championship game, to the to the 2017 national championship, to the 28, to honestly the 2018 SEC championship stung more than the 2017 national championship because it's like we didn't even expect to be there that early in 2017. But I mean, the prayer at Jordan Hare, it's like there's there's plenty of like tougher losses than this one. I think because as Georgia fans, it's like you're just appreciative of what this team has done for the last three years. Like three straight undefeated seasons, uh, undefeated regular seasons. Like it's just it's a it's absurd. We knew we couldn't. We knew this streak had to come to an end at some point. It's frustrating for sure when you feel like you're the better team and you just kind of gift them. Like I mean, I'm not gonna. I don't want to completely take it away from Alabama. Obviously, like they they're defensively is where I give Alabama the most credit. But in terms of like what they had to do, what they needed to to do to Jalen Milrow to win this game, I felt like Georgia did. But they just, I, you have to give the credit more than anything to Alabama's defense because this Georgia offense has been so unstoppable all year. You can say it's Mike Bobo that he was holding Carson Beck back if you want, but I mean, I think it's at the end of the day, it's this Alabama defense that was able to hold. You know, maybe at least the second best offense in the sec um, to just 24 points. Like, I think that's, is that, I think that's George's lowest point total of the entire season. Um, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest achievement of anything. Well, I think another thing stood out. I mean, Bama receivers were running wide open. Burton had a really good game. Bond had a good game. That was something that surprised me. Cause I thought the strength coming into this game and strength all year for George has been their secondary. And I think they got pretty, I mean, look, Miller well, was just the for- one drive. Like that's four of Bond's five catches came on the one drive where he's just running two yards over the line of scrimmage, little crossing routes, and they're just Georgia, I guess, forgot he existed. And this guy just picked up 12 yards, picked up 15 yards, picked up another 12 yards, and it all the way down the field. Yeah. And the the blown coverage. And I think that was one of the bigger things too. Missing a guy like Demont Jamin Jamon Dumas Johnson for the last few weeks is you've I've worried about Georgia's experience at inside linebacker, and you saw a true freshman. Inside linebacker with a completely busted coverage for Alabama's first touchdown, too. Is it Everett on the edge for Georgia? Dalen Everett, yeah. Yeah, he had a bad day. That was like one of those where they circled Everett on that one. Was that something you expected coming in? Yeah, because that's basically every... It's kind of... I feel like Georgia's been like this for like three or four years in a row, and fans tend to always hate on the, the second worst corner because we have one corner that absolutely locks down and every play is made on the opposing corner. And this year mm. it's been Dalen Everett in 2020. It was Tyson Campbell. Like Tyson Campbell is clearly not a bad corner guy went like 30 something in the, in the NFL draft. So it was, it was Kamari Lasseter a year ago. Uh, so I think, um, I think it's just, you're not going to go to Kamari Lasseter's side. You're going to go to Dalen Everett. I, I don't, I think it's exaggerated how, how like bad Dalen Everett has been this year. He's a he's a redshirt freshman at the end of the day, but I mean he's he's definitely Georgia's weak spot in the secondary uh, of all the five dudes that that are usually playing. So you got to exploit the matchups, and, and Alabama definitely did that. I, I but I would say more than anything, like than just like the Everett did give up a couple of big plays. They didn't guard Isaiah Bond on that one drive, and if you look at Alabama's drive summary like of the second half like that was literally until the very last drive where they had to run the clock out that was the only drive where they did anything and they went 75 yards down the field and scored and it, like Isaiah Bond had like four catches for 50 something yards on that drive so I think uh 
you know, for the most part, Georgia was able to, to keep this Alabama offense from really doing what they wanted uh, until the very end of the game. They were just able to run two or three straight first downs and, and put it away. Yeah. And look, it, it happened. Um, it's also why for the year I said I would have been surprised if Georgia won three straight. It just requires so much to win 29 straight. It requires so much to win back-to-back. It requires so much injury luck to win three straight. It requires so much uh, matchups that go in your favor to win three straight. You already are playing in the toughest league in the sport. There's just going to be some volatility at some point. And I think Georgia is still one of the four best teams in college football this year. But... It was why I just didn't see it coming. I, I just did not see, and I said in this podcast, and I've said it all year, like, and coming into this weekend, I think I said on the pod last week where I was like, they, I think they're going to win this game, but I also don't expect Georgia to beat Bama, then Michigan, then uh, Texas or something like that. Like, that's just a lot. That's asking you to beat three teams in a row that you're pretty but somebody's got to win the year. games. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm saying that's why... I just think that would have been just so ridiculous to put together and just solidify this Georgia run as one of just an all-time dynasty that can never be matched. And I mean, look, it's going to be hard for anybody to match what Georgia just ran here. Um, Back to back, like Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide are not doing this. Like they're not back to the Alabama of old. We're not going back to the McCarran, uh, Blake Sims and company days. It's not like that's what's happening here. What's happening is Bama's been really good this year down the stretch they're really good in one score games they nick saban owns atlanta like the guy apparently is not allowed to lose in the city of atlanta but let's see like if they get texas in the national title guess what that's in houston that's gonna be a home game for texas um they've already lost to him once like i don't know that they can be go ahead but i think it's interesting that people are just walking in like they saw the michigan reaction to uh, getting alabama at number four and they're like see they know and bama's coming it's like Look, Bam, two things to be true. Bama's had a great year. I didn't, you and I both didn't see this run coming at the end based on what we saw, uh, especially in the early part of the year. Nick Saban deserves credit for this team's growth um, over the course of the year. But it's also like, hey, this is a 90 something percent blue chip ratio team coming in. <laughs> they had the most amount of talent of anyone in college football this year. Um, it's what they're supposed to do. And we'll see if they can I do it say, two more though, times. I, I don't, I don't buy that at all. Like, like obviously we know Alabama's get get has really good players on their team, but like this isn't the just like the most talented roster in college football. Like I don't care what the blue chip ratio says. Like this is like this is like an overachieving team. Like this feels like a team that's like the holes greater than the sum of their parts type of stuff. They kind of find ways to win because Milrow's like he's he's kind of a, a game manager. Like we talked about, like the best case scenario was like maybe this guy can be like Jalen Hurts, and he's like mm. he's still not as I would say he's still not as good as Jalen Hurts. He he doesn't like just doesn't take his care take care of the football as well as Hurts did. But I mean this guy, I mean it's hard to call another quarterback a better athlete than Jalen Hurts, but this guy is is an insane athlete. Like I, I whatever his forty time is, I bet it's faster than Jalen Hurts. So he that's that's another that's like a solid uh a solid formula for getting a game manager that's a that's an insane athlete it's 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 a step up from from greg mcelroy and aj mccarron and i don't disagree with that um but we'll see um if they're able to win two straight in the cfp uh we'll get into our picks and stuff like that uh in a little bit but what was the biggest surprise for you matt green uh that you thought coming into this game would be the case for Georgia Alabama that ended up not being the case with how this game played out. I would say, uh, I mean, I've it's, I would pr- probably say just the offense only scoring mm-hmm. 24 points. I think that's has to be the most surprising part because I think you knew that Alabama was going, going to do something. And kind of, like I said, like Alabama had 300 total yards and, almost 40% of it came on the final two drives of the game. So I think uh, Georgia's defense did enough to, to keep them in this game and, and win this game. I mean, this, this Georgia defense isn't great, but they were able to get pressure on Milrow. Sometimes Milrow was, was just kind of creative in the pocket, giving that little shovel uh, to Isaiah bond to keep one of those third on one of those third down conversions. That was, that was a real gut punch uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, just the fact that, this Georgia offense that's just been, you know, pretty unstoppable most of the season. And I would have said, even if 
even if McConkey and, and Bowers weren't 100%, I would have thought there's enough guys for this offense that, that Bowers is or uh, Carson Beck's just going to get the job done. But with the way that Alabama was able to s- stop Georgia's uh, run game and then this this uh, ba- ba- Carson Beck, this is probably his worst game of the season. And, and that's not just because he was bad or anything. I mean, that was because of Alabama. Alabama made him have his worst game of the season. So I think uh, this Alabama secondary, they came to play. Um, and I think, I, and especially with uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry uh, going down too. So I would say that's just the most surprising part is how much they kept, I think, what were they, like the number three, number four pass offense in the entire country to – under 250 yards and and no touchdowns. Yeah. And look, th- hats off to Alabama. They did it. I didn't see it coming. You didn't pick them. It's still an all-time great run, though, by Georgia. But my last thing here, are you worried that there might be a some... Like, there might be a hold over here where you feel like, as a program, you got the Alabama boogeyman off your back. You close that page in the book. Kirby beats Saban in the national title. All good times from here on out. And it has been to this point. You skip Alabama a year ago. Not like a shot at Georgia for not meeting Alabama. I'm just saying you didn't play them last year. So Alabama didn't get a revenge game last year. Then you get them because, in the SEC because title. Because they lost two games. And I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is like you just didn't get them. So you wait two years. And then you get them again. And Bama beats you um in this fashion do you worry about this just creeping back around uh kirby in this program going into next year and this is something that's gonna be hard to shake of like man i thought we were done with this i thought we had solidified that we were the premier program saban i mean how much of this do you blame david pollock for saying uh georgia is now the uh the 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 biggest force in college football or whatever he said i forgot I, i'm paraphrasing here i forgot what he said and saban's just like kind of jarred uh when they're sitting there next to each other uh but i don't know like do you worry about some some holdover going into next year and how this team responds to uh this kind of loss um i mean in terms of that like not at all like i mean i don't know how good this team is going to be next year carson beck coming back is is a Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN huge kind of you know sign of what this team should be next year i think georgia's established like where the floor is and the floor is just about like one regular season loss i think it's almost where the floor has been established so i i I don't really question because it's like you can't put the monkey back on someone's back like kirby smart's a two-time national championship winning coach like that happened and they were he was already knocking on the door for several years prior to that like who who doesn't Nick Saban have the number of? You know what I'm saying? Like he's the greatest coach of all time. Like I think, especially with how the game went, like I think Georgia can still claim that they're a better college football program right now in 2023 than Alabama is. the The 2023 team beat them, so maybe the, this year's team is better. But I mean, even how the game went, it's like it's a very winnable game for Georgia that they just didn't win. Like it, it could have gone either way. So. I think uh, the monkey's already been gotten off of Kirby Smart's back. I think, I think every person in this fan base, maybe Mike Bobo, because of one bad offensive performance, now fans are gonna come from out of the woodwork and forget that this offense was one of the best in the country all season. But um, no, I wouldn't worry about anything like that. If if anything, that's just the whole process and everything is 
is why Georgia is here every year. You know, it's like they didn't just they didn't just give them two national championships, you know, and then and then say, okay, now now try to figure it out. It's like because of what this program does day in and day out, like that's that's the standard they're at now. So I think uh, the Alabama boogeyman is never as long as Nick Saban's over there, it's never going to go away. But Georgia's beaten them before. They've had close games with them that haven't gone their way. I think uh, I think when you've won 29 straight games uh, in two straight national championships, that's all I was saying before. It's like this game just like doesn't even sting like some of these other big losses have because you're just like, ah, we didn't win this one. Kirby Smart obviously knows what he's doing. Let's uh, Let's just trust him to get the guys back here next year. I like it. Well, we'll leave it there, Matt Green. Um, let's move towards what happened in the playoff, and we'll talk some some Pac-12 too as we wrap up here with some Jaden Daniels, Heisman, and uh, some CFP order and everything else. But I want to pivot to what happened today, uh, the fallout. Um, it just sucks all across the board that this is where we're at. Um, it felt like last night this is where it was headed, and I was monitoring the betting markets on what was going to happen here and who was going to make the playoff. And when it shifted, I think, last night and this morning to Alabama getting that force by, you're like, they know. And it kind of was just – it was brutal. Like in the family group chat, they're all in. They're all uh, – because Florida State has a great win against Louisville. And I'm just over here. I'm like, I, I, I just I, – I felt it in my core. I'm like, they're – they're just not going to do it. The SEC and the Big Ten are not being left out of any playoff under any circumstances because of what this sport is and who runs the sport and everything else. Like it just it the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, I understand the precedent. I understand all of this stuff, but I just don't see a path where the two mega markets, the two, the big two, because everyone says power five. I'm like, it's not the power five anymore. It's the P, the power two. And I just felt my core. Whoever won the SEC title game was automatically in. And Bama gets in. Um, but, Matt Green, your instant reaction to the top four, the order, and what happened over the last 24 hours in terms of the college football playoff seating. So I'm not a I'm not a naive person, right? I understand I understand the context and everything, but my immediate reaction is that Florida State just got absolutely hosed. Like you go 13 and 0 in a Power Five. I still call it Power Five. Damn it, it's still a Power Five to me. And they go 13 and 0, and you leave them out. Like I just I hate the idea of projecting what one player on their team is worth. Like. We all know Jordan Travis. I think it's fair to assume that Florida State without Jordan Travis is not as good as Florida State with Jordan Travis. But you don't also know that Florida State without Jordan Travis is not still better than every other one-loss team in college football. I guess the biggest problem I have with it is is honestly the the weekly the weekly rankings we have like that's the college football playoff should stop doing the weekly rankings. Hmm. Like they, they do that to, to be transparent, but like you look like an idiot. We could all transparently see that you guys are just making it up as you go along. Like Florida state is number four going into the playoff rankings a, a week ago, Oregon's five, Ohio state six and Texas is down at seven. And so you're telling me, a, what was it, 16 to 6, 15 to 6 or something? Mm. Uh, Florida State. Florida State goes out and beats by your by your measurement, college football playoff committee, the 14th best team in the country, Louisville. Hold them to six points. Did nothing offensively, under 200 yards total. And Texas goes out there and smashes who they think is the 18th best team in the country. That's enough to now think Texas is better than Florida State. Like last week, if you wanted to dock them for not having Jordan Travis, dock them. But last week, you said that they were three spots better than than Texas. And they beat a better team under, under your ranking system. They beat a better team in the conference championship than Texas beat. Obviously, Texas did it more convincingly. But more convincingly to, to jump them from seven to three, like I just... I think that's a terrible look. That that really doesn't make any sense at all to me. They they went undefeated. Like they, I'm sure they're not as good without Jordan Travis. But are we not going to talk about the fact that this is the 
the the defense has absolutely balled out since Jordan Travis got hurt. Like the defense is stepping up. Like this is the 14th ranked uh, defense and in, in total defense in the country, the sixth ranked scoring defense in the country. Like maybe the offense is a little bit worse, but Florida State's still a really good team. Like the fact that you can't you can't tell Florida State what did they do that kept them out of the college football playoff. You can't tell them anything. If you look at Alabama. I think everyone right now agrees that Alabama is better than Florida State right now today. But if you tell Alabama, why aren't you in the college football playoff? Because you lost to Texas in week two. It's a pretty, and Texas is ahead of you. Like that's, sorry, like that's it, an easy explanation. There's mm-hmm. just, there's no explanation. No, in my opinion, there's no logical explanation for Florida State other than we don't think you guys are going to be as good without one of your 85 scholarship players. Like that's just, I just don't agree with that at all. I also think it was just a full on your G5 conference. It was a message that you are not. See, I disagree because I think if Jordan Travis is healthy, they're not moving them down. I don't know if I agree with that. I still would say no. They're undefeated Florida state with Jordan Travis. Also, we don't, we had to project a little bit, like say that Florida state team beats Florida 35 to 14. Right. Mm. And then, and then beats Louisville 30, 31 to six. And they just, they smash two opponents and go 13-0 in the ACC. There's absolutely zero chance the that Louisville or that Florida State's getting left out if they're 13-0 and Travis is healthy. Can I give you a take on that? Yeah, hit me. I think Texas gets left out in that scenario, the more I think about it. I don't think there was ever a path <sighs> for... Bam over Texas, though. Yes. That's even worse. But you saw that that's what they just did. I'm telling you, like, they would find a way no, around... They, they did keep Texas ahead of Bama, though. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is there's no rules, because this speaks to the other part of it, which I want to say. There is absolutely no defense to moving FSU to five, putting Bama at four, and Georgia at six. There is no defense to that. If you're going to drop yeah, exactly. Florida State below Bama then you have to drop them below Georgia for that kind of thought yeah, process to make a, any sense. Drop them below Ohio state at that yes. point. Like it, that's what doesn't make any sense. They're just making up with, they're just making yeah. it up as they go along. And that's just, it's never been the four best teams. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's always been the foremost deserving. The fact that they're trying to act like it hasn't always been the foremost deserving. is just dumb. Like 2018, I think was the perfect example uh, as, as a Georgia fan, because I love that the, that Alabama team that was talked about being the greatest Alabama team of all time with Tua and everything. That team was like a 15, 16 point favorite over Georgia in the SEC championship. And Georgia was number four and they, it led like 55 minutes of the game or something like every single person that watched college football thought Georgia was better after that game than they did before that game started, but they moved them down to six and put Oklahoma in the, in the playoff because they won the Big 12, and that's how college football works. So I think uh, this was a really weird scenario this year of the SEC champion just happening to lose to one of the one of the other teams that was a playoff contender. It was a perfect storm to keep the SEC out, even though I think Alabama is one of the best four teams. I just I don't agree with how they decided uh, to put them in over over Florida State. I will say. Did see? I, I'll ask you before I answer this. Did college football fans ultimately win in the end here, though? This is something I feel kind of gross about, but it's something I feel in my heart of hearts. But before I answer that, did college football fans win with this Final Four in the end? Um, probably not, because Alabama's probably just gonna smash both teams and win Nick Saban's twenty-second national championship or however many he has. No, I obviously I know what you're saying. I'm sure. I think today we all agree. Florida, Alabama is a better team than Florida State um, with the quarterback play and everything. But um, so yeah, I mean I understand what you're what you're saying there. It's probably going to be a better game. Florida State. There's a chance they would have been overmatched with whoever they would have played. So or I guess Michigan. So they would have played. So um, yeah, I mean I guess so. But that's just I don't think we should be making sports decisions based on the best TV product, you know, but Hey, this, Hey, this is where we are in 2023. I mean, I don't disagree with that. I felt guilty a lot. Shout out to the Thomas family group chat, but this is a great result in terms of the playoff matchups. 
Like, I think there's a whole heck of a lot of pressure on Michigan now. And you saw that reaction. They're not thrilled about getting Alabama instead of Florida State in this matchup. I think there's a lot riding on this. They opened as, I think, uh, two-point favorites, two-and-a-half-point favorites over Alabama. We'll see. Right now, my gut says that's a bad first-round matchup for Michigan, and this offense has not been good for the last couple weeks. I think it's going to be... I, I would be surprised at this point if Michigan beats Alabama. We'll get our picks later on. You but. know what? I, what? What is a positive here? What we, the college football world, are saved from mm. is Alabama fans think the entire world revolves around them. The entire college football world revolves around them. So when they're not there, they think the title is somehow illegitimate. Oh, it didn't have to go through Alabama, so it didn't count. Like, <laughs> no, you guys didn't get there, so it doesn't matter. Florida State doesn't have to worry about their 2013 title or they didn't have to play Bama. Georgia doesn't have to worry about the 2022 mm. title. Like, you guys didn't get there. So we're at least all saved from that. Alabama got there. If someone else wins it, it's because they had to beat Bama. Oh, well, they may not. That's not true. Like, Texas could just beat michigan in the title game and or i guess they did beat him oh, yeah. i guess washington's the only answer there if washington wins it uh and bama loses to michigan then washington beats bama but i don't think uh washington's winning it all um i will say though the sark bowl with washington and texas is going to be great i don't see that there anyway that that's not an awesome awesome game between those two teams and I just think the pressure of Bama and Michigan and every fan base in college football outside of those two fan bases of those teams can't stand either. So I think it's going to be a fun hate bowl in terms of fans really wanting both teams to lose and uh, make fools of themselves. But I also just the folks who are just riding in Alabama, I'm like, I, I'm not there. I am right now on December 4th, still think Texas is winning it. I think this was a good result for Texas um here to get in they're playing the best football of any of the four i think going into the college ball playoff love uh, their defensive line love their pass catchers quinn ewers was balling on saturday we won't really touch on that but texas looked really good uh against i did, Oklahoma I did State. cash in a uh preseason ticket uh well i haven't cashed in yet but uh texas making the college ball playoff so i uh i cashed that in sir there you go want some um, doll hairs but look it's ultimately a television product in my fa- like if it was me and I was a FSU fan I'd be pissed and be demoralized as a college football I guess quote unquote analyst and journalist here I am glad that I think both games are going to be good and I think both games are going to be very competitive and I think both games are going to be pretty close here for sure and and seeing the the expanded field people showing what it would be if it was 12 it's like yeah that looks like a lot of fun and everything I'm still you give me six, you give me eight. I feel like it would still be a lot better in my opinion, because you look at what this, this Georgia or excuse me, what this SEC championship and what this PAC 12 championship was this weekend. While as a Georgia fan, obviously I'd selfishly love to have more teams in the playoff right now because Georgia would be one of the teams that made it and they would still, our season would not be over, but we know how the the sport works and to have the sec championship with those sort of stakes that you have to win to get into the college football playoff. Like this is incredible. And I think this is why this weekend is so huge. And it's, it's disappointing that I feel like this was our last kind of weekend of that, because I mean, you're a preseason top five team moving forward that, that, that goes 10 and two, like you're in the playoff every single time. Like you're, with Penn State this year is in the playoff with n- no one really has any idea how good Penn State actually is. And and this team would be in the playoff because they went 10 and two and lost to the two good teams they played. So I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm a, I've been an expansionist, like alarmist for a while, but um, I think this, this weekend just, just showed like why, because like this is another field this year. We, there was this notion that, Oh, the playoff is, is somehow this like self-fulfilling thing that, oh, once you get into the playoff, that's where all the players want to go. And so all the players go to the playoff teams in Oklahoma and Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama. They're in it every year. And we've seen like three or four years in a row with a bunch of really different looking playoff groups. Like we've had Washington now making their second appearance a bunch of years apart. Michigan's in their third straight. Like now Texas has made a college football playoff. So I just I feel like we just overreacted to this unprecedented dominance of Clemson and Alabama just being elite for like six, seven years in a row. And 
this four team, I think this weekend show, obviously we had some controversy, but I think this weekend show that like the, the four team is still, it's still good enough that like to, to make every game so important. Cause that's a, that's a conspiracy theory I got out. You want you want, you want college football conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. They messed this up on purpose because in order to gain support for the 12 team playoff, because there's a lot of people out there that were like, man, like myself, hate the 12 team playoff. But then an undefeated team wins their wins their Power Five conference doesn't get in. How many people did you hear this weekend say, "Well, at least at least we're this is the last year of this, where at least we're going to expand the playoff. We're not going to make this mistake again." It's there's my conspiracy for you. It's uh it's all it's all a ruse to get us to uh to get us on board with this 12 team playoff, and not going to do it. I am going to do it because they're just they're just going to do the 12 teams, and we're all just going to deal with it. But I don't like it. Mm. Um, last thing on uh, the CFP and the the weekend as a whole. We talk Jane Daniels real quick here. Um, why do people keep doubting Washington, Matt Green? I I said on the pod before we jumped off last week where I made the case for both, and I just everything I was saying and everything I was feeling, I was like, I just I feel like the Huskies are going to win this game. Like I don't know why I'm just picking Oregon. Like I just I hate that I just keep doing it. I'm like it just doesn't feel right to me and made the change and i uh cashed that one in um you're welcome late. for that one that was a little you assist. did push me to do it it was we weird. had we had a lot of we had a lot of similar picks you were definitely feeling them it's like when you it's like when you have the same pick as someone but you disagree with the game mm-hmm. like because that's how i was surprised you were like going back and forth at alabama georgia and then you're like georgia by 10 and i was like oh i wasn't really expecting i was expecting that maybe Georgia win Alabama cover situation. But, uh, but yeah, with this one, it felt like you were, you were feeling Washington, but you picked Oregon and you, uh, and you corrected it. And look, Washington played a great game. That was a lot of fun. Um, I will say Bo Nix has some Joe Milton to him where one of the things I was saying, and I hope like Bo, Bo Nix, Milton wishes. No, I mean, if you put Joe Milton in that scheme and that schedule with those pass catchers this year with Franklin and company, Joe Milton's putting up similar stats. Like I've watched a lot of but Joe, Joe Milton in is in the, the most elite scheme there is. Hold it's on. A cheat code. I got to show you some of the receivers uh, this year for Tennessee. Jalen Hyde and Zedder Tillman were not out wide for, uh, for not Joe Milton this year. walking through that door. Yeah, they were, they were not walking through that door. So what I'm saying is like, that's not even really a shot. Bo Nix is better than what he was at Auburn. That much is true. Bo Nix has competed at a high level at Oregon. But, you saw like kind of the difference between like a Michael Penix or um, some of these other big name guys like Jane Daniels, obviously is who should be the Heisman. I think he wrapped it up over the weekend based on how these games unfolded, but I don't know. I just think Bo, it just, it was a lot of side to side stuff. It's a lot of getting guys, your playmakers to make plays for you. Um, and he wasn't really going to go out and win that game. And I think part of what made him better at Oregon than what he was at Auburn was at Auburn, he was just kind of running around for his life. It wasn't efficient. It wasn't uh, good. It was a lot of interceptions, low completion percentage. At Oregon, and this is why I compare him to Joe, they kind of put him in like, hey, here's our scheme. We're going to complete a high volume of passes. Just hit the guys early and put it in play for our pass catchers. Let them do the work. You just get them the ball and operate in that way. And that's what Joe tried to do, I mean, for the majority of this year. Um, tougher schedule, this and the other, but... I really just was watching that game and I'm like, it's a lot of what Joe Milton, they want, what Tennessee wanted to be was what Oregon looked like um, in this game all year, year long. That's just something that I saw and jotted down, but I don't know. Dan Landing now 0-3 versus Kalen DeBoer all time. The other thing was like, Kalen yeah, DeBoer is a much better coach than Dan Landing. A lot Lanning. of Dan Landing and, and Bo Nix slander coming from, from your tech, from your cell phone on, uh, on, think... on Friday night. I think he's closer to a Mel Tucker than a Kirby Smart and we'll see if Things change over the next couple of years. They go into a much tougher conference uh, through and through um, with UCLA, USC coming with them, Ohio State, Penn State company, Penn State getting the OC from Kansas, good hire there over the weekend. I mean, it's just going to be tough. I'm very curious to see how Oregon handles it. I will say on the Washington front, I'm glad they went through and won this because I think it's going to be ugly next year for Washington. They're losing a bunch of key pieces. They're not recruiting well under DeBoer and company. I think you're looking at a TCU type fall um, heading into the Big Ten for them. I think- I've said they give me a TCU vibe for a few weeks now. Mm. 
And that's if not an insult at- from from me. No. That's an insult from some people, but not not for me. It's a great story. I love their receivers. Love Michael Penix. Love Kalen DeBoer. That dude's just a winner. I'm worried about his recruiting going into the Big Ten. But look, man, what a story. They just keep winning. They I don't know how this game. Why were they favored against nine and a half? Like, I just don't understand, like, going into that one. That was maybe what threw me off I mean, Oregon's so much. been more dominant, like, all season, really. But other you beat them. Other than the wash, the one Washington, the game versus Washington, mm. uh, obviously it is the team you're playing, but it's it was on the road versus a neutral site. It's obviously I, I feel like most of us just thought Oregon had been the better team, but like I I just don't know why any like negative takeaways came from you for Dan Lanning because when I, when I was watching this game, it's like this was just an amazing game. Like Dan Lanning's twenty one at five, twenty one and five now in two years. He's he's zero and three versus Kalen DeBoer, but. Kalen DeBoer is one of the best coaches in college football right now. Like the way they were able to just kind of keep Oregon's offense off the field in this game was just incredible. Like what was the time of possession? Like 37 to 23, I think in this game, like three, three and outs on their first, on Oregon's first four drives of the game. Like they were, they pretty much dominated. I was a little worried at halftime because Washington completely dominated the whole first half. And then Oregon was able to put together that last drive to make it 20 to 10. Like, I feel like if you're getting dominated and you go to the halftime, you go to the half only down 10, you're like, okay. And then you go in, come out in the third quarter, Oregon outscores Washington 14 to zero. It felt like, it felt like Oregon is, is the better team and they're, they're finally playing like it. And then Washington was just, they were just more, honestly, they were more physical and just, it was the the Jimmies and the Joes. It was just they had the dudes. Like they they basically couldn't guard Washington's top three receivers and uh, running back. I'm blanking on his name right now. 150 yards on the ground. Like he he was they were pretty much unstoppable um, after that. So I, uh, I I I can't come away saying like Dan Lanning can't do Dylan what, Johnson. whatever. Dylan Johnson. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mississippi State transfer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I got to give the credit for to Kalen DeBoer more than, uh, more than tearing down Dan Lanning. I'm not tearing. It's more of like, I'm just curious. I want to see what it looks like over the next couple of years, because we've seen this, like he's recruiting really well. Mario Cristobal recruited really well. Taggart recruited really well. Like he's Chip already Kelly done more than Mel Tucker. Like Mel Tucker had one good season. Like he's yeah. already had back to back 10, 11 win seasons. Yeah. I mean, I just, let's wait and see on Dan Lanning. Like that's just a wait and see. I just think. In this one, he's been head coach for two years, dude. I've, Dan Lanning, I, I don't know. I think Dan Lanning is, has, he's not, I mean, no one's proven after two years, but this is about as good as you can possibly do. Yeah. I mean, he's, let's see. He's going to the Big Ten. Let's just see. I'm very curious how year three goes for Dan Lanning without Bo Nix, maybe Thompson, maybe Dante Moore. I don't know. We'll see. Is, he's under center. Is the Big Ten better than the Pac 12 this year? Yeah. I mean, at the top, like you have less room. Like you're is not. It? I mean, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. I don't still. I don't know that Ohio State, and Michigan are better than Washington, and Oregon. I think we'll see, but I, I would think say yes. I, I we could see, but I, I don't know. Like, I, and then Penn State, like we still don't know how good Penn State is. We just know they're not as good as Ohio State and Michigan, and they're better yeah. than everyone else. But there's a lot of bad teams in the Big Ten this year, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of good teams in the Pac-12. Like, I think Washington and Oregon could come in and be right there with Ohio state and Michigan from the jump. Like, no, at no. least Oregon, Washington doesn't recruit the way Oregon does, but like, no. I think Washington could come in and be every bit as good as Penn state. Like Penn state hasn't, hasn't been doing like, I mean, they're still recruiting at a 10 to 12 uh, clip and they're also, they don't Penn lose State's any games. They're not supposed to lose. Like they're exactly. still nine and three, 10 and two you, guaranteed. You put UCLA and USC and Oregon and Washington. There's a couple more games. They might should lose like all Maybe. Penn state. All Penn State's been doing is beating the teams that they're better than, and it's a lot of great staff, a, though. And I love the Kansas hire. Like, maybe I'm saying, there's, an a awesome lot of, hire. there's a lot of bad teams in the Big Ten. Yeah. So I think the Pac 12 is definitely a better conference. And going back to the college football playoff like conversation, that was like another thing that, like, of all the years of it being like a perfect storm to keep an SEC team out, like, this was the year that the SEC didn't seem as dominant as it, mm-hmm. as it usually is. So, it's it, the Pac-12 was was one of the better conferences all season long. So I don't know. I'm not as convinced. I think I think Dan Lanning and Oregon they're going to hit the ground running in the Big Ten. 
Final thing here, Matt Green. Did Jaden Daniels lock up the Heisman this weekend? Um, I didn't see Jaden Daniels play this weekend, but um, <laughs> I think he locked it up for sure. He's the best player in college football. I think he already locked it up because people were talking like if Bo Nix balls out on Washington, he was going to be the Heisman. Like, I, I was obviously you're the one disrespecting Bo Nix over here. I I'm am. Not, hold on, I, I I'm not disrespecting. Respect. It's not disrespect. It's he's a game manager. Uh, that's he's what I'm not saying. the best player in college football. Like, no. he's not even not even close. Like he's a really great great heart. Player. He's playing in the bowl game. Like good kid. I like this post gamer. It's nothing about Bonix the person or anything else. I'm saying, and this is why I compared it to Milton. It's just he's a game manager. Like he was not like it, it's just it what is he disrespectful was. to compare him to Joe Milton. You know who's a better comparison for Bo Nix is Jalen Hurts. Like he could actually be that game managing type of he's a ridiculous athlete like bo nix is gonna tear mm -hmm. up the combine like this guy is one of the more I'm sorry athletic. what is joe milton gonna do at the combine i mean he's gonna throw it 100 yards is, is he gonna run a fast 40 time like is he is he actually athletic i mean he had a night he had a 90 yard scramble um earlier this year that kind of yeah caught i i think joe milton is going to we've seen joe milton play bad quarterback like bo nix we've is seen bo nix be a very bad quarterback as a fresh, I mean, have we ever His seen years at Auburn were terrible. Those both years were awful. I mean, those are those were years. That was a lifetime ago. He's but he's got like three, four seasons uh, since his like freshman sophomore and he was year. Okay, last year he was good. He forty touchdowns this year, four thousand yards. Whatever it's like, he was efficient. That's but I'm saying he was a good college football player. Like Joe Milton was essentially a bad college football player. So I just think Bo Nix's comparisons got to be someone like higher like that i don't know if he's an nfl quarterback or anything but you've seen nfl teams like have take guys that aren't the best passers and you know develop a system around them and, and work to their strengths so bo nix is a great athlete but i think we know he's not the best player in college football like i think roma dunze should be a heisman finalist i think i don't really care who else to be honest marvin harrison jr could be a heisman finalist if you want to put him there Bo Nix could be a finalist, I guess, if you want to put him there. He's had a great season, but it, it, they they all seem like they're they're nowhere near uh, Jaden Daniels. Uh, so I mean, it's a runaway for me. There you go, um, Matt Green. To wrap things up, how did we conclude the Pick'em this season as we get into our bowl season next week? The Pick'em is over. Bowl season does not count. It's a different different fun pick them so how did it all finish oh that should be fun for the uh for the chase for the thomas uh group thread florida state and georgia in the orange bowl for who wants to be there less that um, press conference was rough i watched that whole <laughs> thing between those two um I, I i saved myself from that but um on the season so for the final week of the year you went six and four overall six and four against the spread I went five and five overall, four and six against the spread. So you just uh, another win for you on the board. On the season, you finished 92, 65 and four against the spread to my 83, 74 and four. Beat me by nine games. And then uh, overall, 109 and 52. I was 105 and 56. Uh, then Zeus, obviously, 12 and five on the year with his home dogs of the week. But Overall, 66.4 winning percentage between the two of us on the season. 58% against the spread, um, me, you, and Zeus. So, uh, or you, Zeus, and I, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, so, hey, we're winning the people some money out there. Get to the casinos. Bet responsibly. There you go. Matt Green, the transfer portal is officially open as we wrap up here. Uh, Godspeed. Should be an absolutely insane week and all kinds of great uh, content. Worst, we've got. worst part about college football. I don't think there's anything you can do because of semesters and guys need to be enrolled in colleges by January. But uh, just the fact that the whole postseason gets distracted by coaching changes and player transfers and signing day, it's just, it's an absolute crazy final month we got here. Absolutely. Matt Green, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.